Hey guys, and thanks for listening to Dating Done Right with Jazz. Now, when I decided to do this podcast, I wanted to be intentional about educating Black women, specifically the type of Black women I've worked with as a matchmaker. Of course, we talk about other topics both men and women of all races can enjoy, but my purpose is to give single professional Black women information and resources to improve their dating lives. So this episode was with that in mind. I often hear women ask where to meet men who value their ambition and can match their grind. And there is a large population of a group of Black men in this country who are exactly what they say they're looking for. Sure, there are some cultural differences, but we're more alike than not. So this episode is to share more about dating Nigerian men, their culture, our similarities, and our differences. And of course, I also have a free course to help you attract men you're more compatible with. You can find that course at attractandalpha.com. Now to Dating Done Right with Jazz. Okay, guys. So we have two West African, specifically Nigerian brothers who are joining us to share what we need to know about dating in the diaspora, specifically dating Nigerian men. And they can share some differences of in general dating men in the diaspora. But first, I want to give them a chance to introduce themselves and share a little bit about their heritage. We have both Boyade and Joshua joining. I guess we'll start with Boyade. Boyade, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me, Jasmine, on your show. This is a very interesting conversation. I'll dive right in. My name is Boyade Sobatan. I'm a self-professed Nigerian. People from Chicago who are of Nigerian background understand what that means. Uh-oh, uh, I like that, Nigerian. <laughs> but everybody's not from Chicago, so you got to tell us what that means. Right, so I mean, from us, Chicago, politics, culture, has a lot of similarity and crossover with Nigerian politics culture. So we feel right at home here in Chicago, especially if you're from uptown. That's where the term Nigerian was kind of coined. My family is from, of course, Nigeria, Bekuta to be specific, but of course, everybody lives in Lagos of the Yoruba background. What I'm doing right now here in Chicago, or I have been doing for the past couple of years, is I'm the co-founder of ethnic grocery delivery platform called Ajay Express. We support small family-owned and operated ethnic grocery stores to help them sell their products online to the communities that they serve. Nice, nice, nice. Definitely support him, y'all. I just learned this Shigerian phrase before. I never heard that before. I'll definitely have to use that. I didn't know you were from Uptown. Yeah, Uptown. Most Africans who came to Chicago started in Uptown and they kind of moved out to the suburbs, moved to the South Side, primarily due to like schooling and where affordable apartments were available relative to the trains, things of that nature. So that's how a lot of people found their way in Uptown. And for me, moving to the South Side to understand how the streets were, I was like, I'm on Sheridan and Wilson or I'm on Broadway, Clarendon. Those streets like all mean something to a lot of Africans here in Chicago. Gotcha. Okay. So in what ways is Chicago politics similar to like Nigerian politics? Because that's why you said the kind of Nigeria thing. So how is it similar? It's very tribal. It's very relationship-based. There's, I want to say there's not much meritocracy. you got to know people to kind of move up and get things done. It's corrupt in some regards. There's some <laughs> of, uh, similarities there. It varies to the extent, but there's similarities there. But it's also very familial, right? People are very, very strong here in Chicago. I mean, you get cred based on what school you went to. It's almost like 
what school would you go to determines your network almost from a high school standpoint. So that also familial aspect of like what neighborhood you're from and things of that nature. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities there. You know what? That's real because not being originally from Chicago, but having been here for so long, I think sometimes people think I'm from Chicago. So when they finally meet me, they ask, what school did you go to? What high school did you go to? And I'm like, Northview <laughs> in Alabama. <laughs> so completely get it. And we also have Joshua on the line. Joshua, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm Joshua Monze. I am part Igbo, part African-American. My dad is from Abia State. And my mom is from Chicago, Illinois. Her family's from Walker County, Alabama. Whoop, whoop, Alabama. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I do a little bit of consulting, advisory, independently, as well as some canna recruiting and financial services recruiting as well. Dope. And if you don't mind your feelings being hurt, go find Joshua on Facebook because he holds nothing back. You have to have thick skin. Like you cannot be a sensitive person. Much of what he says you learn from, it makes you think it's entertaining, but you know, he don't hold back. So, But I'm fair though. I'm fair though. I keep the same energy too. That's true. I'll give you that. You are fair. That's true. I'll give you that. But, you know, sometimes I'd be like, I'm about to block him, <laughs> but I can't because I know the next day you're going to come back with something I agree with. So it's all good. I'm pretty sure some people think the same thing about my page. So cool, cool, cool. All right. So my first question, because when I was thinking about what do we want to learn from these brothers who Joshua has a background where, you know, part of his family's from the U.S., part of his family's from Nigeria, Boyade family's from Nigeria. I was thinking about what do women really want to know? So my first question is, outside of women who live in Chicago or New York or LA, where in general can women go to meet men in the diaspora? Whether that's African men, Ghanaian men, like what resources and tools? Or if you lived in, let's say, for example, Tennessee, where do you find men of the diaspora that, you know, generally speaking, this is where they might spend some time? If I was answering that question, and given the work we do, we track where like a lot of immigrants are flowing to, especially West African and African immigrants. But honestly, go to any university. You'll trip over one. Yes. Like if somebody's yes. there doing graduate studies, undergraduate studies, you're going to find literally just post up. Even if it's KKKU, there's going to be an African there. Nine times out of Because they just like gravitate and they overemphasize I won't say overemphasize, but they heavily emphasize education. So wherever they're going to get in, that could even be at a community college too, but go to school. That's where you'll find them. Yeah, there's always a saying that goes amongst a lot of Africans, Nigerians, especially doctor, lawyer, engineer, or disgrace to the family. (laughs) It's serious. It's serious. And I'm pretty sure, boy, they can attest to this. And if you basically look in those fields, you'll see a lot of Africans. That's true. That's real. And that's one of the reasons why I was like, all right, you know, Nigerians have a large population in the country. One of the reasons now, I don't know if I talked about this before on my podcast or on my social. I love the West African community when it comes down to looking for men that I'm compatible with. And my previous dating worlds, I found myself most compatible with Nigerian men because I like ambitious men. And just like you guys said, your families don't play that, <laughs> you know, like they want the men and in my experience, the women to pursue success. And so like some of my clients, my women clients, like who are successful, they're looking for someone that, you know, also values ambition and achieving high goals. And so I'm always like, hey, you know, 
consider the West African man or man in the diaspora because cultures tend to be or what African cultures, I would say, tend to really push education or at least like being successful in some way. Would you guys agree? Oh, definitely. Definitely. I definitely agree with what I said. I would say it wasn't until I got my master's degree where I was fully treated like, okay, you got it together. Like you get a bachelor's degree, it's like, okay, that's the expectation. The conversations that happen early. It's not like, oh, at least for me, and this is not to down anyone, but like for me, like when I graduated high school, people were like having all these big parties. My parents were like, okay, here's some cake. What are we doing for school? That was like the conversation from day one. Like it wasn't about if you're going to college, like what college are you going to and what are you studying? Right. Not celebrating any little successes is like, okay. I want to frame that because understanding where some people come from, that is a big success. So I don't want to diminish that by any stretch of the imagination. But like a lot of West Africans come over here, most of them are either coming here for education or to do an advanced degree. So you don't have to look far in your family to find somebody who had a PhD already. So getting your degree is not going to really like move the needle. <laughs> like for somebody to get excited about, oh, okay, what you do? Like you're one of like your cousins, your uncles, your mom, your dad, everybody already has this. So it's not until you get to that next level or get to positions and titles where the respect starts to really formulate. Gotcha. So my next question, and let me just say this up front, we're going to stereotype a little bit, but obviously know that we're not speaking for all men in the diaspora. We're not speaking for all Nigerian men, all men in Chicago or whatever. We're just going to speak in general terms, but we know that there are always exceptions to the rules. So there's no need for y'all to contact me and point that out. That being said, what would you guys say makes Nigerian men great fathers and great husbands? You know, Nigeria, from my perspective, is a patriarchal place. You know, the thing is, is that not just patriarchal in a sense that men control things because they're men, but more so the fact that men are expected to take charge and are expected to provide. The thing is, is like, even regardless of, you know, income levels and things like that, most African men that I know of, they want to be the provider for their families. And that's the way that they move. So. If you're dating professionals and things like that, you don't have to sell us with your education or things like that. You're doing that anyway. But at the same time, it's like most of us already think we want to be strong enough to be able to provide for our families. And, you know, if our wife has extra, then that's good. But we're not necessarily counting her pennies going in. I said maybe slightly differently. I think generally speaking, a lot of African dads are really good dads. I'm not sure they're great husbands. I think you see you see the same issues you see with any group of men. Hold up. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'm just being keeping 100. You ask any African woman, they'll say they love their dad, but their dad might not have done right by their moms. Children are considered wealth, especially in the Yoruba culture. Children okay. are wealth. And the child, especially bearing your last name, is almost like your avatar. That's why we spend so much money on weddings. We're flaunting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? To say, like, look at my child. We'll invite our enemies just to put them there yeah. to tell them, like, look what my child has accomplished and your child still isn't married. That's kind of like the mindset. <laughs> we, not lying. To the point where I, I've met women who like, I just want to have a baby because I know at least the father's Nigerian, he'll take care of the kid at minimum. But, so, like, why do you say they wouldn't be considered good husbands? Like, what do you think is generally some of the reasons why they wouldn't be considered good husbands? I don't want to characterize it as a good husband because that's relative, right? It's relative to the expectations you set in your relationships. But generally speaking, like a lot of Africans, we're very, very cautious about how we portray ourselves externally, right? So you might see 
externally like great successful kids you don't see the family pictures but there might be a lot of drama going on behind those doors that we don't talk about honestly isn't that everybody though like everybody but then i think sometimes we kind of do it really 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 good if that makes sense like yeah and it's not you peel back the onion that you kind of find out i think when i was going to college one of my uncle told me a joke but it wasn't really a joke it was kind of serious he said you never know how many children an african man has until the funeral Right. <laughs> when they say you know, all the children step forward, the person you thought was your cousin that kind of looked like you, we like, okay, I can kind of get it. And you find out that's really like your brother or your sister. But again, that's the function of expectation, right? Some men are very good in letting their women know up front, like, hey, I'm married to you. I'm growing with you. You're my partner. But this is what I'm on. And some men, because of you know, religious reasons, religious pressures, or just a lack of just transparency, do it behind the scenes. And then it becomes a mess later on. Okay, so let's just keep it right here for a second. <laughs> let's keep- I think he opened up the can of worms on something right there. That well, like- see, where I'm trying to go, and what I want to know is, what are the realistic expectations? So let's go there. If a woman is marrying a Nigerian man, right, what are realistic expectations? Damn, I went there, huh? I'm trying to answer honestly, but I mean, I guess I'll keep it too real. I think the realistic expectations so you got to understand, right? First gens, which I would consider myself and Josh first gens, right? We're literally like one or two generations removed from polygamy. Right? Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so like our whole orientation of what family structure is and how things have happened are totally different from what has been like the quote unquote monogamous norm, or I'd say the monogamous mirage that has been put together here in the U.S. And also, this is not as for a lot of African men, because a lot of African men because of the traumas that their family has faced, they shun polygamy, but they still might do dirt anyway. So exactly. the realistic expectation is to be honestly, like, just be honest. Like, right? Like, yo, like, what are your limits? Like, what are your weaknesses? Can I really count on you to be, like, 100% faithful? And I'm not sure you can say that for any man. Talk less of a Nigerian man. <laughs> All right. See, he touched on a very key point. Basically, culturally, we're used to having women. It's a little bit different here. Because here it's like, you know, the girl is the prize. The woman is the prize. There it's like the guys that are doing their thing have their pick of the women. And he doesn't just have the pick of one. And in addition to that, he legally can have more than one. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what? That is, I guess, a stereotype of Nigerian men that they cheat. But I mean, that's a stereotype of men in general. All right. And I want to make sure yeah. you put that because, no, Italian men could give a lot of Nigerian men a run for their money. Well, yeah, that's cultural for them, too. They have wives and they have girlfriends. But the thing about yeah. their culture is they talk about it. The wives actually be knowing the girlfriends. Like, OK. But because I think a lot of religious norms have kind of seeped into the culture that people still do it, but they kind of like do it, but they don't talk about it. Gotcha. One thing you said that I thought was interesting was like some guys have trauma from polygamy, from like how their family have experienced trauma. So perfect example. I dated a Nigerian guy like shortly after I moved here to Chicago. He's married now and he's a cheater because he slid in my DMs. But his stepdad was a polygamist and his mom was like the second or third wife. And that was my first experience with that. You know, my country self from Alabama. And I was like, oh, I can't believe that. And he was like, that man loves my mom. He takes care of my mom. She never has to want for anything. And he had a wife in Nigeria and he had his wife here. And then maybe like another wife somewhere else, maybe Nigeria, I don't remember. But I was surprised that her son was so okay with it. So like, 
In what ways was that traumatic? What is the general sentiment around polygamy with first generation Nigerians right now? I'll say also the way Nigerians express love are not quite the romantic love that you oftentimes express here. Like, for yes. example, when I talk to my grandfather, he would say, yeah, of course I loved your mom. I put her through school. And yeah, I, exactly. I her and I did it like, no, I reared her. I gave her clothing. I gave her houses. I paid all her school fees. Now, you take that to a relationship dynamic. You mentioned that the gentleman you dated said like he takes care of my mom. And that is usually like the marker of are you doing what you're supposed to be doing as a man? Now, when I talk about the trauma, yeah, you see this oftentimes stereotyped in Hollywood movies whereby the second wife is jealous of the first wife. So she tries to do, you know, juju to like kill kids <laughs> and all that other stuff. And honestly, like, I think those relationships have the regular type of tension any type of relationship will have. When you bring another person to that dynamic, it's always going to be that type of tension. It causes drama, family drama, if it's not done properly. And that's where a lot of the trauma comes from. Like, hey, I don't want to deal with all that headache. I just want to have my one, maybe one on the side that nobody knows about. And I keep <laughs> I'm just keeping hundred. That's how the mindset is. Like, I don't want to deal with when I pass away, people fighting over my property or people fighting over the will and things of that nature. So that's kind of where that trauma piece is. But from the standpoint of how do you show love? I show love by taking care of you. I'm showing love by you not wanting. I'm showing love by you not needing for anything. And that oftentimes doesn't necessarily translate to Western style image of what love is. Not at all. Exactly. Exactly. But maybe we need more of that. Not the cheating part, but maybe we need more of that. Because sometimes like Western black women, I would say, feel like we're not protected and provided for. So maybe we need to find some healthy balance of that Disney love and that West African love where it's like we're protecting you, but also like, you know, we're in love. I think a lot of West African men, I'm not speaking for everybody, please don't email me, DM me. That's why I already <laughs> gave the disclaimer, like, look, uh, we're speaking in general. I'm just talking about like, guys, you know, we have this conversation when we're drinking Gouda, eating suya, we talk about these different things. But like the love and the aspect of marriage is more so thinking through a partnership business lens, if that makes sense. Not business like, oh, we're going to make money, but who can I build with successfully? And that love kind of, you know, germinates over time when you're building together. But like going in head first, like love, love, love. I think it's more of a thing now and more recently, but it's typically been like a partnership, like y'all could grow with you. Or Nigerian families are a merger. Weddings yeah, exactly. are a merger. Exactly. That, that's oh, who, the best way to look at who's it. Who's your father? Your father plugged politically, ought to marry you because I could get contracts. What or, does he do? You know, right. what does their family do? It's those kinds of things. Yeah. It's a merger, definitely. Best way to explain it. Okay, so look. So my biological father might not bring much to the table. <laughs> my stepdad, we good though. Oh, my stepdad though, you know. Does that make me less valuable to a Nigerian man because I'm really the first person in my family to go out and just get it. But I still got something to bring to the table, but it's just not going to come from my Southern country family. It's going to come from me. Yeah, but the thing is, is that you're doing something and you have a family that created and raised you to be who you are. Okay, so I still got a chance. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay, okay. I'm trying to tell women how amazing West African men are and y'all are literally like (laughs) giving us the opposite. I think the perspective that people oftentimes don't appreciate or take time to study, right? So if you're going to go into these type of relationships, you kind of have to understand the cultural norms and how they've evolved over time. For example, like ascendance to health expectations or understanding that, like Josh said, it's a merger, right? So yeah, I can rock with you because you're doing something and if I bring what I'm bringing to the table, we can do some really, really fantastic stuff. But I'll be hard pressed if there's some hairdressers, don't come at me. 
people selling no flat tummy tea don't come at me. But like, if you don't have like W2 or like a lot of these different things that are markers, the man's going to have to be really, really head over heels in love with you because he has to eventually bring you to his family. And that's where the rubber really meets the morale. Because if you don't pass moms, mom dukes and aunties, it's going to be really, really tough for him to justify move forward because they're going to make it challenging. Okay, so if she don't have like one of those careers, I guess it's a shame versus a hustle, right? If she don't have a career that's like that guaranteed money or has already made it to some level of success in business, that's probably going to be a bit more challenging for a Nigerian family to accept. Is that what you're thinking? Absolutely what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> if she's not, like you said, now, that's the same example. She's a hairdresser. She has only like five salons. Different topic. We're talking about something different. Like she's like, you know, just starting out, she's a nail tech. And bringing her to mom, and mom's like <laughs> a nurse or anesthesiologist or a lawyer. We're already distant on the culture thing, but we're not even in the same realm as far as like career. So where's that linkage right there? You know what I'm saying? I mean, and then if we'll say you went to college and you graduated and you decided that you wanted to be entrepreneurial and start something else, that's different. That's not the same as, you know, what Boyade was talking about as far as not having a W-2. In that situation, you know, you went and solidified a backup plan and then went into something that was your dream. Like that's something that's commendable, especially if you're actually living off of it. You know, it's a little bit different if, you know, I got an idea and, you know, entrepreneurial, but I only get paid 5,000 a year. But if whatever I'm doing is paying me 50 or 60 grand, I mean, or more, okay. you know, They might be a little bit more open. Yeah. Okay, so... I had this one experience, right? I was taking a class. I won't say what class it is, but there was a beautiful Nigerian girl in the class. She had a very successful career in the medical industry, one of those high paying medical field roles. And she was so unhappy though, y'all. I remember it was in the class and we used to talk a lot about our personal lives. And she was married to a Nigerian man. He also had one of those very successful careers. I remember her talking and saying, she felt like she was supposed to be happy because she has this idea of a life that everyone wants. She's successful. He's successful. They're married. But she didn't really want to do that for a living. She wanted to pursue like something she was more passionate about. How does that affect y'all when you really have three careers to choose from? You're in the healthcare field, the IT field, you're an attorney or an engineer. I mean, honestly, I feel like regardless of what culture you come from, you should do something that you're interested in or passionate about. But at the same time, you should be realistic about the prospects of what you're doing. I know a young lady that she does art now, you know, but she studies statistics, you know, and this lady is doing partnerships with major brands. I don't want to mention the brands or anything like that, but she's been on the news. She's been in magazines and things like that because of this art. So, I mean, you can decide to do different things, you know, if the opportunity presents themselves. But at the same time, I mean, you want to be able to finance whatever you're going to be doing going forward, which means you probably need to study something marketable. I agree with that. I'll echo that. I think the issue is making sure that you have a fallback. Even if you think of some of the top Afrobeat artists, right? You think about Banky W. He went to engineering school here in New York. David O went to school here in Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Like all the these, people, like, these people all did it and then they pursued their creative expression. Like one of my best friends is a doctor, but he's a filmmaker, right? Mm-hmm. So he got the degree, he thousands of dollars in debt to become a doctor, but he's pursuing his passion as a filmmaker. But he could fund it himself. Like yeah. just 
salary alone. So I think that's the mindset more so get something marketable that you can always work with. Like for example, I'm pursuing an entrepreneurial endeavor right now that I have little experience with to this date. I mean, I have it now, but like worst case scenario, what's the worst that can happen to me in my career? I just go back to the bedside. That's still a pretty good, decent, respectable salary even there. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. I have a Nigerian friend and he said his dad told him, he said if he wanted to pursue something else, his dad was like, well, you'll have to get your engineering degree and something else. Like it was like, okay, just be prepared to work twice as hard because you're going to get the degree I want you to get. And then also you're going to do what you want to do. So I completely get that, making sure that you have some type of fallback. But because they're looking at it from a practical perspective, because at the end of the day, you know, they're looking at it in terms of this. If you spend all of this time in school and graduate with a piece of paper and you take out this debt, you need to be able to earn enough money to pay this back and move on with your life. Financially, it makes perfect sense. I'm with it. And I think also that's why like a lot of Black women in the U.S., I think are more compatible with West African men than they might know because black women are also always pursuing success, maybe just as hard. We might do it for different reasons, but we tend to be the ones that will go to school, get, you know, the degrees, always trying to start a business. We pursue it a little bit differently, but when it comes down to the expectations, there's an expectation for black women from the time we're kids. Our parents just put that pressure on us that as a woman, a black woman, you're going to have to work harder than everybody else. And so I think we tend to do that once we grow up and become adults. I completely see that. And I think that's why we can be compatible. One of the things I think it was you, Boyde, that you brought up, your tribe specifically. And that's something that we still haven't learned a lot about is West African tribes. I know both of you are from different tribes. So tell us a little bit about your tribe and maybe some of the stereotypes around your tribe or what your tribe is known for, I should say. So my ethnic group is the Yoruba group, which makes up the southwestern part of Nigeria. But I just wanted to kind of couch this with the acknowledgement that there's 250 distinct ethnic groups and languages spoken in Nigeria alone, right? So the, the top three would be the Hausa, Fulani, Yoruba, and uh, the Igbo, while followed by the Jaws and some other groups, right? So Nigeria um, as a country is a made-up country because they just do these 250 ethnic groups that, hey, guys, you're a country, go forth and prosper. So with that said, me specifically, I'm from Ibekuta. So historically speaking, like we fought against slavery from different angles, from the Dahomey to different empires. Where I'm from, Felakuti, the president of Nigeria, Olusegun, I forget the name right now, he evades me, but I digress. A lot of people come from Ibekuta specifically. As far as the Yoruba people, they're known for very spicy food. They're known for just pretty much being fun-loving people. Like They enjoy having parties. Like We kick it. We kick it hard, too. And then from a, a relationship standpoint, we're very familial. Family is very, very important. If you were to say a negative aspect of Yoruba stereotypes, it would probably be considered, quote unquote, Yoruba demons, which meaning that like we are known as being philanderers and breaking women's hearts and things of that nature. <laughs> but you know, I don't necessarily ascribe to that demon category. That literally I was about to say demon. <laughs> That's right. Go Google it on your phone right now. Look at Yoruba demon and see what comes up. There's actually a whole outfit, a startup pack that comes along with it too. Other than that, like, that's pretty much for the most part. I'll probably cut it short just because I'm speaking off the top of my dome right now. But it's, like I said, second largest ethnic group, Southwest Nigeria, very spicy food, very fun-loving people, people who just enjoy life, generally speaking. And a lot of Yoruba men, we love women. So there's literally a Wikipedia page for Yoruba demon. <laughs> like, Yoruba demon is a slang for a young man, typically of Yoruba descent, who has the uncanny gift to effortlessly make ladies fall for them very easily. 
Wow. <laughs> so, okay, ladies. So we might want to stay away from the Yoruba men. <laughs> well, it's also the spice of life now. Like, you know, you want to have a good time. Yoruba men will definitely, like one thing Yoruba men are known for, you all call it tricking off over here, but they will spend a lot of money on women. That's something that, that Yoruba men are known to do. They definitely, definitely are known for taking care of women and spending a lot of money. So I'm not sure if that's a positive or negative. Definitely um, a positive. We're uh, going to go uh, back to the Yoruba men, ladies. Okay. So, but like I said, I love my people. I love the flavor. Very, very spiritual people. Very, very fun-loving, life-enjoying people. Are Yoruba men usually, based on your research for your company, is there like parts of the country where they are more than others? Definitely. They're primarily in the Southwest, but you probably more likely find Yoruba people a little bit everywhere. Not a, probably as dispersed as Igbo people are. Yoruba people, like religiously speaking, uh, 50-50, half are Christian, half are Muslim. They kind of flow with their religious groups as well. So you can see them everywhere. You know what? I remember I was in Houston and listen, there was this mansion party. It was humongous and they were turning up and I was like, I just happened to be riding by. I don't remember where we were going and I wasn't even prepared to like hop out the house. But like literally it was a mansion huge party and I looked and it was Nigerians. I couldn't tell what group they were from, but you know, you can tell the dress, the all of that stuff or whatever. So now it makes sense. Probably it was Yoruba. Possibly. Probably been Igbo too, but like Josh kind of mentioned, that's the capital of Nigeria. Like if someone says they're Nigerian and they don't have any relatives or never been to Houston, I'll question them. Really? That's true. Okay. Josh, tell us a little bit about your tribe. Okay. So as you guys already know of the Igbo tribe, and some things about us is that we're known to be traveled, like, you know, boy, they was just mentioning. So you can pretty much find Igbos anywhere. If you go to Alaska or North Dakota, it's an Igbo guy in the school studying engineering right there. If you go to Upper Peninsula, Michigan, matter of fact, one of my dad's best friends was studying at, uh, I want to say, Michigan Tech. And that's like above the mid you know, we're everywhere. Additionally, you know, business minded, market minded. Some people will say like, you know, with the whole tricking off thing that, you know, boy, they was talking about people will say Igbo cheap, but it's actually practical. There's this saying that the Igbo man will spend it on his wife. The Yoruba man will spend it on his mistress. <laughs> Wait, and you know what? I've heard the stereotypes where like one group is more flashy. They're the money. One group is the educated and one group is the military of the top three groups. Is that correct? From a stereotypical standpoint, typically the Haosafalani are typically they go into the military. As far as education, I think it's about equal between the East and West, between the Yorubas and uh, the Igbo, just primarily because when like the colonizers came to Nigeria, like the first school in Nigeria, I believe, is in Yoruba land in the West. And the first church in Nigeria is also, I think, in the West as well. I forget the name of the church. So they had the first experience being exposed to you know, Western education, Western style. I think once it came to the East, I think the Igbo quickly caught up with that as well. But like Josh is right. Like Igbo's are known for pretty much being business-minded. They're very, very, uh, well, I'm going to say very, very, I don't want to make it sound like I'm going extra hard, but they're known for being very tight with their money because they're really into like, you no know, business and markets and things of that nature. Got it. Okay, cool. One of the questions that I wanted to go over is one of the things that like growing up, Black American women were always told, right? 
or as we started to date West African men, at least we hear this, right? So we've been told that like West African men will date us, but they won't marry us. Outside of the education part that we've already talked about, is there some type of pushback to marry a woman in the U.S., a Black woman specifically? Let me take that one because like I told you guys earlier, you know, I'm a product of two cultures. So, you know, with that being said, what would be important in a situation would be to embrace the other culture more than anything. So, okay. I mean, if you come in you into it, embracing the culture and accepting it, you know, then, you know, you can progress. I've been to conventions, which is a, you know, sub tribe under Igbo. But I've been to conventions and, you know, guys have had wives of all ethnicities there. And same with a lot of the women. The thing is, is that those mates had to embrace the culture because the thing about it is that it's their culture and their family is big to them. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to like even something like, you know, if I'm dating somebody, you know, you would have to have sensibilities towards things like soup and fufu, pounded yam, things like that. Even if you don't necessarily eat them yourself, you'd have to understand that these are important things, you know, on my side of the family. So that if you come around my family members, you're not looking at the food with your nose turned up in there. Yeah, I actually listened to Lovey's. Yvonne Orji. Yes, Yvonne Orji, which her comedy special came out not too long ago. It was hilarious. I listened to their podcast, The Jesus and Joloff. And one of the things they said was, one, eat all of the food. And then they also said, learn a little bit of the language. So like a basic, hello, how are you? Goodbye. Learn some of the language. So are there some other things that you think a Black American woman could do to show that she is interested in learning the culture? I just want to add a little addendum to what Josh said. Everything he said is correct. I have cousins whose model half Nigerian, half St. Vincent or half Nigerian, half American. I think the point which you're driving at initially, Jasmine, is the fact that sometimes, and I think this goes both ways, we like to kind of use the worst of our experiences to kind of paint broad strokes. So I'll, yes. give, an I'll give an example. I had an uncle who was dating an uh, African-American woman, and for whatever reason, they got into it. She stabbed him, and he lost his kidney. So his mom in Nigeria, she hears that her son is in a hospital without a kidney because his American wife stabbed him. So then that forms the pains of people who have never been to the country about what they should expect the way they should look out for. <laughs> and American uh, wives will stab you, basically. <laughs> I mean, for that particular situation, but I have, like, tons of Nigerian men, like Josh said, who are married to different women. I know African-American women who can make better jollof rice than some Nigerian women because the women embrace the culture so much. Exactly. Uh, they took it on. And also, I know some Nigerian men who know how to barbecue, like barbecue barbecue, not like suya barbecue, like with barbecue sauce and things of that nature because they've gravitated to that part of the woman's culture as well. So it really has to come to the point where that you all are accepting of each other wholly. Then it's to say, oh, he's Nigerian. I'm let him do that stuff with his side. and I'll do my stuff on my side. That's where you start seeing issues. And I think one of those could be because like, I mean, in the black family in the U.S., of course, family is important, but we might not put importance on family as much as you guys do. So like in black American culture, like there are some things that we definitely do with family holidays, all of that stuff or whatever. But some people might just do that with, you know, their immediate family, their parents, sisters and brothers, whereas it sounds like and correct me if I'm wrong, the West 
African culture might be a little bit more tight knit with their extended family. Oh, so, yeah, like my cousins. I only consider my cousins. I mean, they tend to be my cousins, but they're more like siblings. You grew up with your cousins like, as if they're your siblings. Yeah. That's just how it is. Like, I remember like the whole concept of cousins. It's not even a Yoruba word for cousin, really. It's because everybody's your brother and your sister. And I mean, there's a kinship there as well. Just kind of like your uncles and aunts aren't limited to your parents' siblings. So, you know, I'll say my uncle Armstrong, but that's not my dad's brother. So, yeah. you know, same, same with an auntie of mine or something like that. That may not be my dad's sister, but, you know, I still, that's my auntie. Just like her children would be my cousins, even though, you know, they're not my dad's siblings' children. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have an extended kinship there as well. Josh, you actually have a, like a unique experience because your mom was from Alabama or her family's from Alabama. Your father's family is from Nigeria. What would you say, like being a child growing up in a mix of both cultures, like what would you say you found that was different? Obviously, a lot of it, but what are some like significant experiences you had because of the mix of two cultures? The thing is, it's a lot more similarities than differences. But if you focus on differences, then two people that may have a lot of things in common will not see them. So the thing is, is that given that, you know, my dad's family is a large family and, you know, well, put it this way. My grandfather, my grandparents on my dad's side have a lot of children. And, you know, my grandmother, her parents had a lot of children. So they came from big families that had like maybe large age ranges between the oldest child and the youngest child. You know, they still had a lot of other similarities culturally. Like I always say, Black folks have a lot more in common than they don't. But the thing is, is if you focused on, you know, some differences here and there, then you'll lose common ground. So I feel like I saw both experiences and there's not that much difference between the two when you really look at it. Experience have had an emphasis on families. Can I add something to that a little bit too? Because I remember when I was when I was going to college, even my dad's uncles will talk about their experiences here. They will talk about their preference for black women from the south. They felt that the black women from the south. Hey, were, <laughs> no, I'm just being real. They felt like black women from the south specifically had a lot more cultural similarities. And now, in retrospect, thinking about it, I can see how that is because they're probably more rooted. And like, you know, just due to slavery and that whole issue, they probably still kind of more likely kept a a lot of or more than most of the culture. Specifically. So I went with one of my, well, he's not Nigerian. I I forgot where he's from. He's from West Africa somewhere that we went to one of the African restaurants on the north side. I think it was in Uptown and Fufu. I don't remember the name of the restaurant, but he was eating fufu, right? And so he's like teaching me, you know, you're eating with your hands, basically. My grandmother eats a lot with her hands and her siblings eat a lot with her hands. But instead of the fufu, I guess is what it's called. We do that with like cornbread. The crazy thing is I'm so country. (laughs) So I will never forget this experience. I'm so country, y'all. Like I'm from the country, country. Like when you think about the family that like stayed in the South after slavery and a lot of that is still me. But I remember when I was in like maybe, fifth or sixth grade, I went to a friend's house and her mom had cooked collard greens and they had cornbread. And so, of course, I'm eating with my hands because that's the only way I'd ever, you know, seen collard greens and cornbread being eaten. Like, I'm swooping it up with my hands. And I remember looking around the table and everybody looking at me and I realized, like, that wasn't normal. But in my family, 
I don't do that anymore. But like my grandma, my maybe even my mom, depending on what environment she's in, she'll eat certain foods and swoop it up with the cornbread in her hair. Okay. Have you seen Trigger Warning? No. What is that? A movie? Oh, Killer Mike? Yeah, with Killer Mike. It's a, oh, it's a I watched some of it. I watched a okay. small little bit of it. Okay. So it was one where he had to basically spend all this money in the black community or basically, you know, had to buy black with every dollar that he spent. I and saw the episode, one I think. Where he was eating with, you know, I guess his auntie or something like that. And when he was eating his greens and cornbread, he mashed his cornbread up. Yep. Ate his cornbread with the greens like fufu. Mm-hmm. Like exactly. When you, <laughs> when you think about like these gumbos, these stews that black people are making, you know, where do you think they came from? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. It came from the West African culture. Some of those things we definitely kept. Even with, you know, this Beyonce album that came out not too long ago and, you know, people are learning about root doctors and like that type of stuff. That's not new because I remember my grandmother not necessarily practicing, but there being root doctors in our community that my grandmother and her siblings were familiar with have stories about people who had experiences with root doctors. And I know with Beyonce, I don't think she was necessarily talking about root doctors, but I believe it's a bit similar and shows how some of the spirituality from West African culture still was brought over here as well. Yeah. I mean, if you think about Santeria. Yeah, that was big in Cuba, right? That's big in Cuba. Anything associated with Vodun or what we would call voodoo, that's all syncretic of like West African, particularly Yoruba and Nigerian religions. Yeah, it's interesting. If that might be something, you know, I don't know, a TV show or a documentary or something, a book to show. There's actually actually, uh, Jaman Hansu actually has a documentary on it on, I think, Amazon. And I know when that whole Beyonce thing came out and people were like, oh, she's a devil worshiper. I was very outspoken about that, particularly because I just felt that that's a culture. And even though that might be not your particular way to worship a higher being. I think we've gotten to the point where we've demonized it, that no matter what it is, it's like it's seen as bad. But I think Jaman Hansu did a really good job kind of like adding context and contextualizing that spiritual way of life. Gotcha. No, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. What's the name of it, Boy Day? Do you remember the name or you just remember the author? Let me see if I can find it real quick. While he looks at that, I have one other question before we get to our game, which is keep her or street her. So we're going to play that. (laughs) What would you say are the expectations of a Nigerian wife? We talked a little bit about definitely having something going on with her life. So she can be like a hairdresser unless she owns five salons. Outside of her career, what's the day-to-day like for a Nigerian wife and mom? From what perspective? And also, before I go into that real quick, the title of the documentary, and I think it is Amazon's called Mesertra Voodoo, Roots to Heaven. It's a one-hour documentary, really short, and kind of talks about that journey for your listeners. They want to like look into that. Perfect. Thank you for sharing. So when it comes down to the whole wife part, when we think about perspective, what is her day-to-day life like from, in certain cultures, a wife is expected to cook and clean and, you know, be the one who spends the bulk of the time with the kids. What does that look like for a Nigerian mom? Is it the same? Is it similar? Is it more? I think it depends on a person, honestly. I think generally speaking, it's very patriarchal, as Josh kind of mentioned. I think that goes regardless of what ethnic group you are. But I think men are starting to become a lot more liberal. And a lot of things you're starting to see here where women are owning more and are expressing themselves more, you're starting to see in Nigeria as well. So I think that is changing. 
Well, I think if you talk stereotypically, of course, like, you know, the cooking of the house, the cleaning of the house, stereotypically, patriarchally, if that's such a word, those are the type of things that are expected of the women. But I think that is changing a lot. And I think a lot also depends on the man. Some men are more liberal. I would probably consider myself to be more on the liberal side, which I don't care. Like, as long as it get done, it get done no matter who does it. I mean, some men are really like, no, like my mom did it. So you got to do it. And that's how it's going to be. You think Nigerian men would be okay with the wife being the breadwinner or making more money? Would they be okay with that? It depends on how much more. It depends on what he's got going on. The thing is, is this, like, if you can afford the lifestyle that your family, you know, needs, then you wouldn't look at it the same way as if, you know, you needed a 50-50 situation. So if I'm a lawyer and, you know, she's a neurosurgeon, she may make more money than me, but it's not like I need her money. So it's like we can both be our best selves and any one of our incomes could afford the lifestyle that we live. So if you decided, you know, as a neurosurgeon or, you know, any other kind of doctor or a high earner, you decided, you know what, or we decided that, you know what, you know, we needed you to stay at home and take care of the children for a couple years or, you know, maybe go to part-time or anything like that, we would want to be in a position to be able to provide for the family in that situation. Got it. Okay. What were you going to say, Boyde? It sounded like you were going to add something to that. No, I agree. I think it really depends. Ultimately, it boils down to ego, right? Going back to the fact that it's a patriarchal society, I want to make sure I emphasize that, just so people don't get confused, that it boils down to ego and control. So when it gets to a point where the financial dynamic leads to one having a significant advantage to where they are controlling or refusing to listen, because like, well, who are you to tell me what's up? I could pay your salary times two. Then you exactly. have issues. Yeah. Because this all goes back to that dynamic of that. But like Josh said, if like, the two doctors are dating or married, it's negligible at that point. Like, okay, she could be making 350000 I'm making 300000 Like, am I really tripping on that? And you know what? I don't think that's much different from the U.S. in a sense of it being a patriarchal society, though, because I think the U.S., while it's changing quite a bit, is still very patriarchal. Yeah, it does. But I've seen situations whereby the woman makes more money and then she might try to exert some type of independence. And some Nigerian men are like, oh, you have grown wings. Like, meaning like, <laughs> OK, now you think you're the boss now. Right. So it can go that way. Again, it's not all Nigerian men. And it also depends on the guy as well. And it also depends on like the nature of the relationship. If it's a relationship whereby like that was the reason why you all got together because someone made more money and that money not there, it might be a different dynamic. Got it. Well, I think you guys have shared quite a bit for the ladies who are interested in dating in the diaspora, but specifically dating West African men and Nigerian men. Well, people don't reconsider now, like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, y'all didn't necessarily make it sound that exciting. No, I'm just kidding. What I will say, though, is I think for a lot of successful Black women, which there are many of them, who tend to be the ones who, you know, have, at least in my experience as a matchmaker, who have more challenges meeting men that value education, success as much as they do. I believe you've got options because West African men, Nigerian men specifically, they like that. They're not going to be turned off by that. They're not but going to... But don't lead with it, though. Let me just make that clear. Don't okay. lead with it. Share more about that. What do you mean by that? I've seen a lot of women that are Nigerian that are, you know, maybe around my age or younger. They're leading with these things. You can't lead because, first of all, femininity, like you say, you know, femininity is a huge thing. 
if you're leading with the ability to provide, I'm not looking for a provider. Why would you lead with that? Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, I'm impressed that you're ambitious. But if I'm looking for, you know, if I'm trying to marry somebody, I'm thinking about a wife and a mother for my children. But I also respect the fact that if this woman wants to, you know, do something like, you know, become partner or get her own practice or something like that, maybe start her own business, you know, I'm there to support her. But at the same time, understand, like, I'm marrying you because I'm looking for a wife and I'm looking for a mother for my children. But if you can figure out how to meet all of our needs and I can support you in meeting the needs and your dreams, then I feel like it'll work. But don't lead with, you know, I have this or I got this degree or I have this job. Like, what kind of woman are you? Lead with those things. You talking about feminine energy and you know I'm always going to share that with the ladies and help them understand how to bring out their own feminine energy. So I love everything that you're saying, Josh. Did you want to add anything else to that boy today? No, I mean, I wouldn't mind anybody leading with that. I'm again, like I'm a little bit different. Like I said, I'm more on the liberal side. It doesn't care. At the end of the day, if I'm deciding to engage you in that capacity, more likely not, I've already done my homework. And if I didn't, I would want to know that up front. You would want to know what up front. Like if somebody decided to lead with that, that's fine. It kind of takes a lot of curiosity out the way for me personally. So that gives me less work to do. So if it's about keeping me engaged, if you kind of give me all the goods and I, I do X, Y, Z, okay, great. Now let's get beyond that and kind of get to like the core, kind of like what Josh said, but it wouldn't necessarily put me off per se. But see, the Quick thing question. is with that, let me add something to that before go we go ahead. to the next thing. I feel like at our level, most of the things that women will lead with that have nothing to do with femininity are standard. So why would you even lead with that? Like what would you say is standard? Like, like women with education is standard to guys that only date women with education. So coming in there saying I'm an attorney or coming in there saying I'm a nurse or coming in there saying I'm a doctor is not really going to put you ahead of the pack. Every woman is doing that the way we think. <laughs> Josh, so what do you think she should come in and say that? I'm a good cook. I mean, no, no. <laughs> you know what? Honestly... I feel like that's something that you definitely should know how to do, even if that man can cook. Because at the end of the day, cooking is showing, you know, that you care. So for you to sit there and be like, no, I'm not going to cook. Forget that. Nah, you know, you think about it like his mom cooked for him. You know what I'm saying? Like his auntie cooked for him. If his sister know how to cook, she'll make that's one of the things like females around him do to show that they care for this guy. So how are you going to be his wife and not be able to do it? And honestly, like to tag on to that, I'm not as hardcore with regards to cooking, but I will say that cooking is definitely like, when they came up to the term, like the way to a man's heart through his stomach, they definitely had us in mind. Because even if you can't cook and even if he doesn't mind, his mom is going to mind, right? Yes. That's again. How like, are you going to cook for his children? His, his siblings and like the aunts, they will give you static for that more than he would. Gotcha. Okay. So does she need to learn how to cook Nigerian food? She got to learn how to cook jollof? Am I saying it right? Yes. Yes. And a way to get cool with the mom is going to go over there and ask her for tips and show her how to do it. That's a great way of building that relationship. And then honestly, if you get moms on board, good chance you're going to get the dude. Wait, so do you guys think that if a dude really likes a woman and the mom don't like her, he would potentially not be with her because his mom don't like her? I would say it would undo stress on a relationship. I almost right. feel like that's very normal in like Black American culture. Like it's amplified though, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think most Nigerian men, not all, but most Nigerian men are very, very close to their moms. 
more so than even their dads. So, like, their mom's opinions matter. Like, you have grown-ass men, 40, 50 years old, still asking mom for her thoughts. Like, what would my mom think? It's that deep. So if moms or a woman figure that that man really, really respects doesn't rock with his choice, some men will go ahead and do it. But, like, the long-term prospects, and there's no scientific evidence behind this, people. So, again, this is more anecdotal. Yeah, just your thoughts. Right. The long-term prospects, it'll be very challenging for that relationship to endure. Think about the moment you start having bumps, it's usually those women that are redirecting you how to do better or keep it together. If those women don't rock with you and you haven't hit a rope bump, they're not going to give you that redirection or that reinforcement. They'll probably introduce, I told you to don't marry her. You should have married Fumi from the village or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. Okay. Now, guys, we want to go into the game, which actually you guys just kind of led us into the game because I'm going to ask some of those questions. So the name of the game is Keep Her or Street Her. And so if you keep her, that means in general, not you guys specifically, because we don't want no pushback. But (laughs) in general, what do you think Nigerian men would do? And we need your quick, fast response. So like answer within three seconds. I don't want y'all to think too much about it, but just a quick, fast response. Are y'all ready? Yep. Hold on. Let me get ready. <laughs> okay. And then street her. I don't think I explained this part. Street her means she belonged to the streets. You're going to send her back out, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean like she is not great for somebody, but it just means that like a Nigerian man more than likely wouldn't keep her. All right. So keep her or street her. A woman who openly celebrates WAP. W-A-P. Street. Keep her. <laughs> Wait a minute, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, Josh say street, boy, they say keeper. <laughs> Why did I know Josh was going to say street, though? Remember, I told you, you're about men. This is kind of the thing that we enjoy life. <laughs> <laughs> we do ours behind closed doors, so it's like... <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying a Yorba men would be cool with that? They turn up? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, you know, with squares or anything like that. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't have to wear this on your sleeve. Gotcha. You want like her to be a lady in the street. Exactly. Okay, cool. Exactly. All right, it's cool. not feminine to be doing that. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, cool. Next one. Keep her or street her. A super successful woman who works 80 hours a week. Keep. Keep 80 hours a week. So she won't be able to do all the stuff with the kids and the cooking and the cleaning and stuff. If she's working 80 hours a week, we could get nannies. Okay, cool. So both say keep her. All right. A woman who wants to be a stay-at-home wife, keep her or street her? Keep. Keep. All right. Keep her or street her? An atheist? Street. Street. Okay. <laughs> so wait, there's all these different cultures and religions and spirituality, but she just got to believe in something? Yep. So, well, I want to add a caveat to that. Like, everything depends. But, like, just stereotypically, Africans are very, very religious and very, very spiritual. So she had to believe in something, right? So even if she's practicing Ifa or she's a Dibya or whatever, like, it has to be something, some form of reverence to higher power. Yeah, definitely. Where do you think African-Americans got the falling out in church from? We definitely got that from our ancestors. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> definitely got that from them. That's how we treat, you know, religion. So, right, but there are that, atheists. I mean, yeah. well, actually, God, I mean, there are people who are atheists. They're totally respected, whatever. But like, if you're talking about just the law of averages and like the, on the average African man, you tell, you bring the lady home and say, oh, she's an atheist. Yeah, mom's ain't having that. 
Okay. Keep her or street her a very opinionated woman. Keep. Uh, man, keep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I always felt like the West African women I know are pretty much opinionated. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how you guys might respond to that one. Keep her or street her. A woman with a natural kinky afro. Keep. Keep. Keep her or street her. A woman who dresses sexy. Keep. Keep. Keep her or street her. A plain Jane. Keep. Keep. All right. And this is the last one. We kind of talked about this before, but keep her or street her. A woman who can't cook. Street. <laughs> Y'all were very clear on that one. All right, ladies. So if you want a West African man, you know you got to be able to cook. I want to thank you guys for coming on, sharing some information about West African culture, women who are interested in learning more about dating West African men who might not be exposed because they don't live in Houston, Chicago, you know, Dallas, New York, LA. Can you guys share more about you, how people can find you and support you? Yeah, so for me, everything for me and my company, Oja Express, O-J-A-E-X-P-R-E-S-S dot com. Visit the website. You can find us on all social media channels, primarily Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And for me, you probably will find me occasionally, you know, debating with Jasmine and Joshua. So <laughs> we really do <laughs> follow either one of those posts. You'll find me somewhere there. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Boyde. Josh, tell them how they can find you. Yeah, I can be found on Facebook, obviously, and also on LinkedIn. Same name, two different platforms. But those definitely, those are the ones I check the most. Perfecto. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for coming and joining my podcast. And ladies, you now know how to date in the diaspora, specifically West African and Nigerian men. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed this episode of Dating Done Right with Jazz. Please make sure that you subscribe, subscribe, subscribe to make sure you're receiving future episodes. And also for my single ladies who are sick and tired of meeting men that just can't match up to your level, make sure you go get the free training at attractandalpha.com to see how you can attract men who will match your ambition, who will match your intelligence and match your loyalty at attractanalpha.com. All right, guys, talk to you next time.